0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Good morning, Celtics fans, and it is a very good morning. The Celtics are two wins away from an NBA championship, baby. Let me repeat that. Two wins away from an NBA championship, baby. I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Greg Manakis. What's popping, Greg, early in the AM out there in Texas?
0: Oh, man. I'm feeling good. Feeling great, man. Last night was such a fun game to watch. Boston Celtics go up 2-1 in the NBA Finals. Uh, Will and I did our final playback room. We watched it together. We're going to be getting together in person on Friday um, tomorrow for everyone that's listening in person to watch a game so we're super excited hopefully the Celtics take that 3-1 lead in the series and we can all breathe just a little bit easier
1: yo so uh where are you going where was my invite
0: <laughs> you you want to buy a plane ticket i mean dude yeah, i want i, wa- I want to go to the game like seeing hearing TD Garden last night the level that that arena can get to and that crowd can get to there's just absolutely nothing like it I went to a bunch of games during the, um, the big three run back in 08. And I can still feel what that crowd felt like. Like I was at the Pierce LeBron game, game seven. And that was the, that was the most adrenaline I've ever felt like secondhand adrenaline I've ever felt in my entire life. I was standing on my seat the whole time, screaming at the top of my lungs. And like, nobody was yelling at me. Everybody was just like, I don't think anybody sat that entire game. And I would imagine that game three last night was very similar. I can't imagine many people spent any time in their seats. Um, they were pumped up from the beginning, you know, with the Celtics coming out in that very first play, they were in that Ram action. Marcus, you would, ex- in the last couple games, he kind of reverted back to taking those early shots, had a, had a wide open three at the top of the key. Uh, Tatum got rid of the ball early, found Jalen on the left wing for a three pointer. And from that moment on, the crowd was just bananas. And even when Golden State made their run and the third, third quarter this the crowd didn't stop they they carried the guys throughout the game and the guys gave them everything that they needed to continue to feed into that crowd
1: man like so here's the thing right i'm talking about buying a ticket going to the game i wanted to come out there and then i saw the prices of the tickets and it was going to cost me more to get into the arena than what it was to fly transatlantically stay there and then fly home you know yeah. it was more just to walk through the door of the TD Garden but then like now i'm seeing like um GRD over on um, on instagrams hosting like in person watch parties like you know they've rented out a space they've got it up on a big screen and i'm like man that could be like super dope you like do, you know so i have toyed with the idea of coming over there as for that ram action like i love the way that Mar- uh, marcus smart just kind of flared off of his own screen just kind of like mm-hmm. an invert cuz it was like an inverted pick and path uh, yeah. it was beautiful man so beautiful yeah. and
0: it, i mean but, he 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 definitely made contact on the screen but he got out of that early right he, he it wasn't quite a ghost screen it wasn't quite a slip it was kind of like in between the two and um i it was he, enough
1: to force the switch
0: yes. basically yes. yeah exactly. it was enough to exactly. force the
1: switch to get the mismatch um, and Smart's been great at doing that um, for a while now, to be fair. Like you, sometimes you see him just kind of tap someone on the back because then there's contacts and now there's confusion because there wasn't a screen, but there was contacts. And now do I, do I switch? Do I not switch? Uh, I like watching him when I'm do- when he's doing that because I'm kind of just like, you're this someone on the back, like tag, you're it, what you're going to do. And then sometimes <laughs> they make the right decisions. Sometimes they don't. But uh, man, the way to open up that game, the intensity, bro, the way they came out, the rim pressure, I think that was one of the biggest, um, deciding factors in the first half of the game and in the fourth quarter. To be fair, only the third they kind of went away was just how much they pressured that rim. You know, Rob was healthy with some bounce. It was beautiful, beautiful man. Beautiful. I mean, I, it was beautiful.
0: It yeah, was. I think I think that's a good place to start is the rim pressure, and we can talk about Rob just kind of tangentially to that because the Celtics. I'm sure you've seen the numbers by now and everyone listening, you've probably seen these numbers, but we doubled up the golden state warriors in the paint points in the paint. Celtics were 52 to golden States 26. And throughout the game, we were relentless going to the basket. Even when it didn't bear fruit, Jason Tatum missed four or five layups in that game where it it felt like they were momentum killing missed layups and it didn't matter. We just continued to go and go and go and take advantage of, of the wide open middle that's been there pretty much the entire series will and I have been lamenting the fact that the Celtics haven't been able to get to the rim. And I thought you did a really good job um, in your game three preview, kind of breaking down as to why golden state has been able to prevent the Celtics from getting to the rim and the way that they pinch the way they sit on the nail. But I think last night we exposed the fact that they don't have any rim protection. Kavon Looney is giving them 17 to 20 minutes a night. But he he clunks up their offense so much, they can't really leave him out there for too long. And we've started to take advantage <clears throat> of his kind of lumbering style on the defensive end, although he can still be effective in it. Um, he, he's not the guy, right? He's not that guy. They needed somebody else to step up into that backup center role to be athletic. And they don't have anybody to do it. Draymond is, is their best rim protector on the team. And he's been tasked with guarding Jalen Brown over the last couple of games. So we've taken him away from the rim. There's just nothing at the rim for uh, for the Celtics. And we've we've been attacking it. And I, th- I think we finally cracked the code of their defense. And Kerr is going to have to make a huge adjustment in game four.
1: I mean, Franco Sola was literally, and I'm saying just as in on. Um, Thursday morning, Boston time and England time. Frank is it Isola? Is that how I pronounce his name? Isola? I think Isola,
0: Isola yeah. I think it's Isola.
1: Yeah, Frankie Isola was just on NBA radio and the entire discussion was, how do the Warriors find somebody like Robert Williams? Because it's clearly what they need to. I mean, these athletic rim runners, if you're not like a transcendent big man now that can shoot the free, that can play the inside out game, you need to be a rim runner somebody like Rub that can go down to the dunker spot, but there's still spacing available because you have to respect the love for it. And as you say, like Kevin, like Looney's great. I think Looney's a fantastic rebounder. He's a good physical presence, can give you some good defense, but he doesn't really have any spacing to his presence. Do you know what I mean? Like he's on the floor and he's kind of just there. You can leave, you can like sag off him. You don't need to worry too much as long as you're denying the passing lane. And when you're a team like the Warriors that are so motion heavy and so like they need that space to get Steph going, to give clay room, even to get Draymond touches where he's going to be most valuable, you know, on the post, on the wings. Looney kind of does muck that up a little bit. And I think the Celtics did a really good job of making sure Looney was always being on defense. Looney was always being dragged into that painted area, defending somebody just to keep him out of the game because what they were doing a lot of they were kind of pinning him in like someone would pin him on the weak side so he couldn't rotate over and then Tatum or Brown or whoever could just attack do you know what I mean and then on um on the offensive end for the Warriors Looney was just a non-factor for most of the game I think that the rim pressure Boston found and the way they found how to kind of pin that pin Looney away from the rim and really beat guys off the dribble, but most importantly, shoot the gaps. So when people were pinching, you know they were getting it out of their hands so quickly. Tatum was waiting for the pinch. Bang, it's gone. And they were preempting it now rather than like game two. They were reacting to the pinch. And I think that's what forced so many turnovers because they're like, oh, damn, what have I got to do? And then in game three, they're like, right, this is coming. Bang, let me get it right. And they're preempting it. And I think that Jalen Brown was a huge beneficiary of that, especially early. Because uh, he was fantastic, dude, all through the all through the game.
0: JB, I mean, this is one of the things that I, I actually wrote down in my notes. It's just like the athletes in this series. I would say ranking the athletes, I would probably go Rob number one, right? Obviously, he's been he's he's been a little bit limited last night. He was not Andrew Wiggins number two, and then Jalen Brown number three, right? And just in terms of like pure athleticism, guys that can really tap into this extra level that nobody else can and jb in the past like he's been the best athlete on the floor he's obviously been limited slightly by some you know lingering knee tendonitis and his hamstring issues over the years but last night he was playing off of the trampoline man and when he's playing off a trampoline like that, and he's so locked in, that's the one thing I love about Jalen Brown. Like we've given him crap over the years for his, you know, lackadaisical off-ball defense. And there was one huge moment. It was actually right after that block that he had on clay, um, where he played great, you know, help side defense on him, you know, um, ended up blocking the shot from behind. And then on the very next inbound, he let up an, you a know, wide open layup for Jordan Poole just because he like wasn't watching where his man was. But J.B. in general last night was so dominant on the on both ends of the court, really, with his athleticism and his ability to get out and transition to the point where Jason Tatum threw up that alley-oop for him like he was Rob Williams on that fast break where Horford ended up missing those two free throws right afterwards. And J.B. looked at, at Tatum. He was like, what was that, man? Like, I can't get up <laughs> like that anymore. And Tatum kind of smiled out like, my bad. But when, when Jalen is... You know, I think Wiggins is the better athlete between the two. But last night, I think Jalen used his athleticism the best of anybody else on the court, aside from Rob Williams.
1: So one of the most confusing things for me with Jalen recently, like over like the last 18 months, has been he's explosive. Like he's super explosive. We know that. But seeing him explode off that first step is quite rare you know what i mean we see he likes to set guys up and then or he'll cut off ball catch and then explode to the rim but exploding after dribble off that first step and just getting by his man early you don't see that too much and i think that we started to see that more and more as the postseason has wore on and then like you know game three was the pinnacle of that like this is jalen brown when he wants to explode off the dribble and just get by you get downhill get the ball out of his hands if you rotate over or punish you if you don't. And I think that as much as we say Tatum needs to see the ball fall to be, uh, you know, everyone's waiting for Tatum to, to hit that first shot because they're like, once he hits one, he's going to hit more. I feel like Brown's built in a very similar mold, except Brown needs to have his early explosion to be able to sustain his impact throughout a game. I think games where Brown doesn't score 10 or more in the first quarter are games where he doesn't really shine throughout and being able to just he i feel like he was just the best offensive player on the floor in that first half of the game and that floor included steph Corey, jason tatum and clay thompson and just he was better than all of
0: them for that first 24 minutes yeah and he was a majority of the time he was covered by draymond and i think he he took game two personally because draymond bullied him And Draymond bullied the entire roster in game two. And I think the the roster and the team came together and they said that's not going to happen in game three. And it looked like Jalen, there was one possession early in the game where he had an opportunity to get an inverted um, pick and roll with smart and just force a switch so he could get Curry on him. And he had Draymond um, covering him at the top of the key and he waved smart off. He put he he he's like, no, I got this. I'm going to take Draymond off the dribble. He took him out to half court, brought Draymond out to half court with him. And exactly like you said, he used that first step. He just hit him with a quick little hezzy in and out, got to a strong right hand, dropped his shoulder, got by Draymond. And I think that was the one where he um, did that little like Euro floater in the lane. And he, he like right from that play, he was like, you know what, Draymond, I, I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to go at you. You're not going to bully me in this game. And there were multiple moments in the game last night where, where Jalen took the challenge of going at Draymond Green, one of the best defenders in the league, and he won that matchup more often than he did not. And that that's huge for the Celtics because that was that was Kerr's, you know, ace, ace in the hole is put Draymond on Jalen Brown and the Celtics aren't going to be able to do anything. He had to go to that in game two. That's probably something Kerr didn't want to go to until later in the series. But after the Celtics won game one, he had to expose his hand and expose his move. And, and we took advantage of it. You know, that they won game two because of that move. Eme has been great, and the Celtics have been great at making adjustments. It's a reason why we haven't lost two games in a row since the end of March. And we we came out, and we, we were the better team from the moment that game started last night we were clearly the better team and that's encouraging because I felt like the Warriors for the most part have outplayed the Celtics in this series leading up to last night, aside from that big fourth quarter in game one. So for the Celtics to play probably better for, I would say 42 out of the 48 minutes, maybe 40 out of the 48 minutes last night, um, the Celtics were definitely the better team.
1: Even in that third quarter, right? Like where, Golden State go on their run. They bring it, they get back into the game. They take the lead for a very split second. It didn't feel like game one and game two, where you're like, oh, this could go either way. Like, Mm -hmm. bust. It still felt like there was a certain level of control, you know, that Golden State bring it back. And then you're like, I'm watching it. I'm not that bothered. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But how are you going to sustain the rest of this game? You're known for your big third quarter, but. The Celtics have proven they can get to the rim whenever they want. So unless you're going to keep this level of intensity you're showing right now, there's no way you're going to hang with them all the way through to the end. And that's what proved to be the case. And I think that Tatum as well, uh, instead of kind of barging his way through, really looking to like barrel guys over, he kind of meshed his because before he was too skillful he never used his physicality enough and everyone was like he needs to learn to draw fouls he needs to learn how to use his body more this season I felt like it's gone the other way where it's dude you need to use a bit of finesse too because right now you're a bulldozer and it doesn't always work in your favor then in that fourth I think Tatum kind of blended the two really well he bulldozed his way around like from the nail down into about four feet away and then he'd go finesse with the finger rolls or the up and unders and I think that when you're talking about the way Steve Kerr's got to make adjustments you've put Draymond on on Jalen Brown it worked for one game game two it doesn't work who do you switch on to Tatum at this point because Andrew Wiggins has done a good job but I don't think he's going to like if Tatum's figured it out if he's figured out how to get Wiggins onto his hip. You know, if the Celtics are just going to keep putting Steph in pick and rolls, keep putting, try and bring clay into there and put like target clay. Andrew Wiggins is going to be null and void. He's going to be spending time guarding Hawford. Do you know what I mean? And that's, you know, no disrespect to Hawford. So I just don't know where Steve Kerr's adjustments come from. Next level, next round of adjustments come from without going deeper into his bench.
0: So the first thing that came to mind was just switch the matchup Draymond guard Tatum and Wiggins guard Brown, um, just so they can see something different. Wiggins has actually played really well against Jalen. He's blocked a couple of his shots. Um, I think Jalen struggles with that length, man. Wiggins his arms so long. And like I said, Jalen is one of the best athletes in the series. But I think Wiggins is just like one level above just because he's taller than him and he's a little bit longer than him. And he's probably just as bouncy as Jalen is so. I think that could be something they try, but that would that would require Draymond to be at the point of attack on defense pretty much the whole game because of the, how much Tatum initiates the offense for the Celtics. And I don't think they want Draymond all the way at the top of the key The one of the reasons why it works on Jalen Brown's because Jalen Brown plays off ball so frequently Draymond can still be in help, you know, guarding Jalen. And then when the ball goes to Jalen on a swing, he can then, you know, body up to him. So I don't think that's a viable option for them. I think Wiggins has to be better for sure. Um, The one guy on the bench, just in terms of matching athleticism, they have one of the best young athletes in the league in Kaminga. They did try Kaminga against Tatum in the regular season and Tatum Tatum abused him. But Kaminga does offer that next level elite athleticism that I think Kerr's probably going to try out. I don't think that's something he wanted to go to in game three because as I said earlier, the Warriors were probably the better team through two games. So for Kerr, it's like, why do I need to go to this adjustment if I don't see the reason to go to it? But now that they got dominated so heavily, um, just in terms of athleticism, physicality in game three, I think that's definitely something he's going to have to go to. So one lineup I was thinking about um, that they they might want to try out is, is is a lineup in which they go, may, it, it might be too clunky, but if they go loony um, Steph, Kaminga, Wiggins, and Draymond. Like there's only one shooter on the floor in Steph. But if it's if it's just for a moment, right? If it's a four minute stretch, you can you can ask Steph to like really carry the offense in that moment. You can ask Wiggins to be extra aggressive and look to get a shot in that moment and just be like, we need to play defense to get out and transition. Like this is going to yeah. be a transition lineup. We're going to show just like they did in game two, our defense is going to be our best offense. And, you know, that's the key to beating the Celtics team that they said the number on the broadcast last night, if they turn the ball over more than 15 times, they lose. If they turn the ball over less than 15 times, they normally win. And when they turn the ball over 12 times, they never lose. Right. 12 times seems to be that magic number where the Celtics will not lose the game if they turn the ball over 12 or less times.
1: I think that you bring coming in. That makes sense as you say a four minute sample size makes sense just to see where where you're coming from right and then you can start moving things around one thing i will say on draymond as well before i touch on the rebounding which is another big aspect in this game is the whole warriors like defensive scheme is very similar in terms of having a rover having somebody in that free safety role that's draymond I read someone write it out in the way of like Draymond is elite at playing cat and mouse games with people as, as like um as a helper, you know, knowing when to dig, knowing when to recover, knowing when to fully help off, knowing when to kind of sag. So you're kind of splitting the difference between the guy driving and the guy that you're meant to be guarding. Like that's where Draymond's at his best. And by if you can force the warriors into having to move him more towards the perimeter, more towards a point of attack defender you've taken them away from their entire game plan. You've taken them away from what made them such an elite defense throughout the regular season and leading into the finals. And in my opinion, if they ever do that, if they decide that that's what they need to do, that might be them waving the white flag. Do you know what I mean? And being like, do you know what? Yeah, we're going to have to blow off everything defensively that got us this far. Because we need to figure out how to stop Tatum, and we think that Wiggins' athleticism matches up better with Brown than what Green's IQ and physicality does. That could it is physically feasible. I do think they try Kaminga first though, just because Kaminga's got the length, you know. And whether or not it's on Tatum, whether they try and put Kaminga down as more of a rim protector due to his explosiveness, something like we envisioned with Gary Payton in the second, right? We expected him to be like an undersized rim protector because he could explode at the rim. And we haven't really seen it, but Kaminga makes sense there. Now, moving on to the to the rebounds, the most important thing for me was the defensive boards, right? Like Boston have been really bad giving up offensive rebounds. And the Warriors, have, without, even without their size, it's been corner crashes that has got them to where they needed to be in terms of getting the ball back. Then you come into this game, and things are just a little bit different. Like, I feel like the Celtics' physicality on the glass was like hot, far more intense. I feel like they were really boxing out, they were throwing their shoulders into guys, they were grabbing rebounds left, right, and center. Obviously, having a 60 to 70 percent version of Robert Williams is far more impactful than the 20 to 30 percent Robert Williams we've been seeing recently, but man. The fact that they limited second chance points and then they got so many second chance points on the offensive and that to me was one of the most telling aspects of this size length physicality and athleticism all blending in for the first time in this series probably the first time in the since the the net series if i'm being honest where every aspect of their defense just seemed to be working you know they're tall they're long they're switchable they're explosive and I just don't know if they can continue that level of intensity on both both the offensive and defensive glass. I don't know where the Warriors go to next to try and generate or limit second-chance opportunities or fast-break opportunities.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it all starts with Rob as you said, getting 70%, Rob, I, I think I would give him 70% last night if we're going to throw um, arbitrary numbers. <laughs> I think he was probably 70% last night. But in terms of the numbers of offensive rebounding, the Celtics had 15 offensive rebounds. Golden State Warriors had six. And, you know, Rob had three offensive rebounds. Grant Williams had three offensive rebounds. And those two guys, they need to be physical. They need to be, you know, the 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 big bads on the block as opposed to what the warriors can really offer there. So I think, I think with, um, with the rebounding advantage, it all starts with Rob and I'm a little concerned going into game four, whether Rob is going to be able to bounce back with only one day off between the two games. You know, it was really interesting to me, Adam. I don't know if you saw this quote, but they asked Rob, what was different? Like how was he able to get his body ready for this game and look so explosive. And he said that he rode a bicycle before the game. And I was wondering, I was like, how has he not ridden a bicycle before these other games? It seems like such an obvious (laughs) way to get his knee ready. Like anytime I'm feeling a little loose, I'm feeling a little tight and I want to get loose. One of the first things I'll do is hop on a bike, especially if it's my knee that's giving me some issues. So I'm like, yo, Boston Celtics training staff, how have we not thrown Robert Williams on a bicycle before this game? I don't know if Rob just kind of misspoke um like i'm sure they've had him on a bike before but that that just seemed crazy to me that this was maybe the first time he's ridden a bike before a game
1: it could have been you just don't know right like they might have been worried about inflaming it more sometimes the bike can put pressure on the joint i mean i mean i'm not a pt so i'm not gonna go into like what like i actually know the true reasoning why you wouldn't do it but that would be my personal uneducated assumption um i do i did see him say as well like the extra days rest helped a bunch uh, he like it felt loose his knee just felt looser and he just felt like there was less pain there now it's a quick turnaround to game four you know like which is a bit like oh man we just got a good version of Rob. we saw how impactful he can be can he recover and return to that level again with a two-day turnaround it's not even a two-day turnaround it's 24 hours of rest and then you're playing the next afternoon or the next evening uh or in my if you if you're in my country it's the two day (laughs) turnaround because you won't watch it until saturday but um that that's a concern to me because that version of rub that we saw with the arbitrary 70 percent you know we are just gonna throw numbers around that version of rub is the guy that's gonna help you win the NBA championship the version you got in game one and game two where he's a bit more of a passenger do you know what I mean? And that, that's concerning because you saw the impact he had when he had that bounce, the rebounding, the, the offensive boards, just the fact that all of a sudden Golden State are like, yo, this dude's hops are kind of there. We're going to have to really respect him in this dunker but No one's helping off him. And just the fact that that opened up so much for the offense, even when he wasn't touching the ball, if he comes back in game four and he's game one, game two, Rob, that's a concern because you're like, man, they haven't got to adjust for that now. Do you know what I mean? You're taking away their need to adjust. Hopefully they adjust anyway and it's an over-adjustment and then you're kind of living in a gray area.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we call him Lob Williams, right? He that That's what he does better than than anybody in the league is catch those lobs. And just like thinking about how the Celtics played offense during the regular season when they were on that crazy stretch – that lob over the top and that vertical threat was such a big part of their offense. There was at least, you know, th- there are some games where he'd get three or four lobs in the in the same game. And we haven't seen that much in this postseason. We've seen him I I would imagine he's probably caught less than maybe 10 lobs. I would say definitely less than 15 in this postseason. Um, he just it just hasn't really been there and he hasn't played that much. So when Horford that threw that pass to to him, over the top in the fourth quarter. That was a huge momentum um, gainer for this, for the Celtics. That was probably the highest I've seen him jump for a lob in this postseason. And then on the de- defensive end, that shot, the floater, he blocked on Seth Curry, where uh, in real time, it almost looked like a goaltend and you go back and you watch it and you're like, wow, he got that right at the apex of, of the parabola. I think with, with Rob playing on that level, golden state is kind of screwed, honestly. Like, Will and I have been talking about this all season. We've been predicting the Celtics would, well, not all season, but since the turnaround. We've been predicting the Celtics would win the finals as long as Robert Williams was healthy. And we got a healthy enough, Rob, last night. And, you know, we said that 70% number. I think overall, yes, that's probably the number that he was at last night. But in terms of just his ability to get up and be string, and be springy, I'd probably even put that number closer to like 85%, 90%.
1: Yeah, in terms of bounce, like yeah. i would give you that, yeah. I mean, I tweeted it out saying, like, in my opinion, this was his best game of the postseason. I, I don't think that's arguable for impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to measure everything in impact. Uh, I think this was his best game as the postseason. I did like how you called it the parabola. Like, I, I haven't heard anyone <laughs> say the parabola or the shot. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. You know, I just usually say arc, but yeah, uh, I like <laughs> it, man. Dropping some math on us, dude. Dropping some An English teacher dropping math. I like it. The
0: parabolic.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just had to point that out because it made me chuckle. I wanted to explain why I chuckled. Um. <clears throat> sorry, I've lost my train of thought. It's all good. I man. mean, it's all good. Like from there, like you know, there was a moment in time where I felt like Horford had kind of figured things out as well. I feel like he was forcing things in game two. He was definitely trying to force a lot of post ups in game well, it two. Interesting, it's just interesting,
0: interesting though. In the third quarter, he was terrible. He was really bad in that third quarter. He was he was not um you know you you've talked a lot about the this the Celtics pick and roll defense and the fact that they need to be higher up um yeah. you know in a shallow drop as I think you called it and Horford was just not in the right spot in that third quarter and Steph just walked into a whole bunch of threes. And then they actually went back to Rob, you know, and that was one of the, the biggest things that changed in that third quarter run is Horford was just getting toasted and pick and roll. Van Gundy even mentioned it in the fourth quarter when they brought him back in. He was like, I'm surprised they haven't tested Horford again in this fourth quarter because that was such an important staple in their offense in the third quarter. But Rob came back in and he completely changed the game on defense.
1: So there was a point where they were hunting Rob as well. Like, and I've been looking into a lot... About of cancelling screens like so you do when you cancel the screen you basically fight against the screener to stop the screen ever occurring so you know the screens come in and you, you know you go belly to belly with them or whatever you need to do to stop that pick and roll occurring or forcing somebody else to come from the opposite side or from and set a screen. So, you know, if you're trying to avoid too much of a mismatch on a switch, you'll cancel the first screen and hope they second, set a second where you, they're not gaining as much of an advantage. And I feel like the Celtics kind of got caught up doing that for a little bit, especially when um, the Warriors were running like um, side pick and rolls on the wing to get Steph the ball like, curling over and they were twi- trying to switch him on to Rub. Knowing that Rob was playing higher up and he was taking the space away, so if we run it on the side, Steph's going to have Steph's going to have him on his hip. So you're either going to get fouled or you're going to get to the rim. So I felt like Boston kind of got in this cat and mouse game where they're trying to cancel that side pick and roll to keep Rob out of it. They're still finding ways to successfully set it. Rob's too far back. Steph's far in away. So there was a few adjustments like that that I found quite interesting. I don't know whether the Warriors feel like they've found something there in terms of how to attack Rub. You know, take it to the wing, set the screen on the wing, use the baseline as an extra defender or like an extra um, offensive piece, if you will, to kind of force Rub onto your hip, either on the outside or the inside and use the baseline as that extra helper. I'm not sure, but it, I definitely thought that there was a moment in time where the Warriors were trying to target Rub in that pick and roll. And I, I just found that interesting because I'm like, dude, you're not going to pull up on him. No one's pulling up on Rob Williams when there's only a foot or two of gap, which means you must feel very confident about your ability to put him on your hip early and keep him there. So I just find that an interesting little caveat.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the big things the Celtics did to kind of counteract that in the fourth quarter is just be more physical and staying more attached to the ball handler. Marcus Smart being, you know, the main guy that did that. He upped his physicality in that fourth quarter to a level we we haven't seen so far in the series where it seemed like he took that third quarter explosion personally. And he said, I'm going to, you know, we're not even going to get to the point where Steph is able to walk into a three-pointer because I'm going to stay attached to him and just make his life a living hell. And I thought Marcus really wore Steph down um as that game kind of wore on. You know, it, it's interesting when you look at the overall numbers for Steph, it felt like because of that third quarter that he would have had like 40 to 45 points. He ended the game with 31 points, which obviously is a good number, it's a great number, but it the 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 way that Steph can go on those those runs when they happen Especially when it's the third quarter and they all happen like in the in the same moment. It really did feel like he dominated the entire game, but he didn't. He only he only played well really in that third quarter. And the Celtics, I thought, executed their game plan the best that they've done um all series in in that game last night. And then Curry just got super hot in the third quarter. Even even when they did play good defense on him, he he knew the shot was going in every single time that he was letting it go. There are some times with Steph where you can see the moment he releases it he knows that it's money and there were like four or five shots in a row that he did that. And then finally um, he missed one at the end of the third quarter and it looked like it was going in. It rimmed out. He thought it was going in. And from that moment on, I don't think he made another three in the game.
1: And you just got like my outlook on it is you live with Steph Curry, making threes. You just got to be, you got to, you do everything you can to make it as hard as possible to wear him down, to bump him, to stay in front of him you know, just to make him throughout the game start to lose a little bit of lift on that shot. But at the end of the day, you live with them because you know it's going to happen. Yeah. It's like getting exactly. on a plane and like just turbulence. You know, it's not something you like and it doesn't always happen, but when it does, you expected it as a chance.
0: Yeah. Sometimes that sometimes you, you throw up. Yeah, sometimes you throw up on the old lady next to you, and that's okay. You know, <laughs> but I, I think for the Warriors that's gotta be a little concerning is that Steph went six for eleven. Clay went, uh, well, what was he five for f- five for 13 or something like that from three? So I think combined, they were 11 for 24 from the three point line, the Splash Brothers. And when you get 11 for 24 performance out of Thompson and Curry as a Warriors fan, you normally expect to win those games. And they lost by 16 points last night. That's got to be very, very concerning if you're a Warriors fan. And I don't, I mean, I would expect because they're going to have their backs against the wall in game four, it's going to be a much closer game. And I probably even think that the Warriors are going to win game four, just because I trust their championship pedigree and their DNA. But the one thing, even more than the fact that, you know, some guys didn't show up for the Warriors, Steph got rolled up on, on that loose ball, man. And he was apparently by all reports was walking gingerly. It's the same foot that Marcus smart rolled up into in the regular season. And he was grabbing at it in it. That's scary if you're a Warriors fan. Clay Thompson even said it. He was like, "You got to be healthy because without him, we're not winning the series." So if Clay, if, if Clay Thompson is saying that, then, I mean, as a Warriors fan, you got to start to feel like they're starting to make excuses already, and that can't feel good.
1: Yeah, I feel like you know, I saw some people saying Draymond was being dirty, and not sorry, Draymond. Draymond there was a lot of talk about Draymond being dirty. I saw a lot of people saying that Horford was being dirty when he yeah. died for that no, he ball, wasn't. and I'm just like no dude like you know we're not going to talk about when draymond's literally grabbing tate and boy's bad shoulder and ragging him around on the, on the key when yeah. they're buckling you know like if we're going to do that we do it both ways me personally i'm like i want them to be physical so it is what it is it's unfortunate hopefully i want and i want the celtics to win without an asterisk so hopefully and, steph comes back and he's fine
0: it, like if you're saying horford rolled up on steph that that that's a stupid take first of all but secondly if you're Steph Curry and there's a scrum around you and the balls at your feet, don't bend over and grab the ball, right? Get on the floor immediately. And then that won't, that, you know, that won't be the case. You won't put yourself in that position. And he kind of like, I mean, he put himself in that position to get rolled up on and he, he did go to the floor eventually, but I don't, I don't think Horford was rolling up like intentionally into his leg. Nah. Steph kind of like shielded the ball with his body and, and then Horford's just a much larger human being. And therefore he ended up on top of Steph. But that, yeah, that's that's a stupid take If people going to say Horford intentionally tried to hurt Steph Curry.
1: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not down for it at all. Like I say, I don't want an asterisk over the, over a championship. So, you know, personally, I'd like Steph to be healthy because when the Celtics do win, if they win, when they win, then you can be like, right. You know, they had the toughest route possible to the championship and that, the every, okay, team secondary stars might not have been around. You know, there weren't no Chris Middleton, fine. But Giannis was there. There weren't no... Um, who else am I thinking of? Carl Lowry weren't really Carl Lowry. Jimmy Butler was there. Oh, Steph, you know, Steph was there. No, no matter who else isn't there, Steph Curry was there. And that's how I'd like to be able to argue like that or rationalize that Went in 10, 20, 30 years when I'm telling the grandkids about the best finals run of all time. So... I definitely want them to be healthy. I do think that we're going to see a big change in, I I want to see the Celtics get punched in the mouth early, just like they did in game two. But I want to see them respond because what we're yet to see is them come back from winning a game, get punched and figure out a way to win. We haven't seen it since the start of the Miami series. It's been, we hit you, you rock, you're rocked we win the game you hit us we're dazed and confused you win the game i want to see like the tyson fury game where you hit us knock us to the floor everyone thinks it's over and then we rise like the Undertaker and figure out a way to make it free one going back to san francisco that's what i want and I, I genuinely think there's a high possibility of that happening if robert williams is at the same level he was in game three
0: I yeah, do think it's like it's, it's, a, a, it's the mid it's the mid round comeback, right? It's the, like the Celtics. It's always at the end of the round. They're sitting on the stool in the corner. You know, the cut man's working on them. The coach is letting them know, like, here's the adjustment you need to make. And that's in between games. We haven't seen that Tyson Fury moment. I think that's a great a great analogy is to be able to get hit, get rocked, and say, you know what, I I'm I still gonna be out here for the next minute and a half. You know, if if if, if I don't fight back now, I'm going to get knocked out. And we haven't really seen that out of the Celtics that that grit within within a game to come back. I, I think you can make an argument on some level last night that that they did, you know, that big run in the third quarter. We withstood that, but to me, that was more the Warriors um, getting you know getting hot from three. There's something you were talking about earlier, the their inability to sustain that third quarter run. Because if you think about what that third quarter run was, it was just them hitting three pointers, right? That's they they were unable to yeah. get into the paint, and they just got hot from three. And then once the three stopped falling, they didn't really have anything for us um, because our defense was just so good. And then we we were just a better team last night. What's your prediction for game four? Celtics win.
1: And I reckon it's going to be, I think, if anything, I've kind of got a feeling Celtics winning overtime. I don't know why, but I just feel like that's how it's going to be.
0: Have we seen an overtime game in this playoffs? I don't think so.
1: I don't think so either. I've just got a feeling this is going to be the game. If there was ever a game that was going to go to overtime, I think it's this one.
0: Was it this because season been- in which the Celtics went to overtime like a whole bunch of times at the beginning of the season?
1: Yeah, it was, yeah. And it was like every, it was like every other game.
0: Right. Yeah, so time. it would be it yeah, would yeah. be fitting. It would be fitting if if uh, we had at least one overtime game in these finals.
1: I'd also prefer it to be on a weekend where I don't have school runs and stuff to do in Friday weekend. night. Friday yeah, night, the extra, the extra period of overtime usually throws my day completely out of sync. So uh, having it on the weekend where I can just like you know chill, pour a glass of whiskey, relax
0: like that—that's what I want, man.
1: Give me the overtime game as long as it's a win. I love it. That's are you gonna st-
0: are you gonna stay up for game four and watch it live? No chance.
1: The only game I'm staying up for is I'll stay up from when it's knockout games where it's win or do or die games. So if the Celtics win on Friday. I'll be staying up for every game from then, or I'll be waking up to watch them.
0: Got you. So in your time, you're five hours ahead. So so they're starting at 2 a.m. Oh, dude, you, you could wake up for that.
1: Yeah, I could, but I'm not going <laughs>
0: to. I'm up hey. at 6
1: a.m. every day, dude, man. I'd like, you know, if I'm- do remember, if get... Dude,
0: do you remember that one podcast I did Uh, when I woke up at like four in the morning here to to do a pod with you? That was fun, man. Just have some fun with it i told you you were crazy at the time (laughs) (laughs) i appreciated it but i was like
1: dude you're nuts and i think i remember saying to you i would never have done this yeah you did you did say that (laughs) like i'm like dude i wake up at 6 a.m every day like um for over to get get a jump start on my day of work i like to do my X's and o's research like i always want to learn something new each week so i like to get like the 6 a.m to 7 30 a.m before like everyone else is up and around and bothering me that's kind of my study time i like to wake up get a coffee and start studying the game um i'm not swapping that out for anything dude because that's my hour and 30 minutes of solitude so until it's knockout games and like because if i wake up if i go to sleep at nine wake up at two to watch the game i'm up then my day starts at 2 a.m and i'm up until the next like until midnight the next day i'm not going back to bed
0: Okay. So I'm like, man, that's, it has to be. Yeah, and, in, my mind, to be. in my mind, in my okay, mind, you would watch the game and then go back to bed.
1: Now I've got the kids getting up, then it's, you know, then there's a school run to do. Then I've got work to do. Got the wife. you guys have Uber
0: happen. there?
1: She's not old enough to put in an Uber on her own yet, man.
0: <laughs> I have considered it. <laughs> <laughs> Throw in an Uber. You'll, she'll, she'll make it. Yeah,
1: she'll make it. But I don't think my wife would let me make it to the next day. She'd kill me, man uh right then what's your um i've got a bounce in a sec cuz i got i got to go do the score talking of the score run it's time to pick her up so um what's your prediction
0: i think the warriors get game 4 i, I think the the celtics win games 5 and game 6 to win to win the title i think the warriors no, are going to bounce back here i think the road warriors um meaning the celtics are going to are going to come back and get the game on uh game 5 and then we'll close it out game 6 that was my prediction celtics win in 6 um, and that's kind of see how I see it happening.
1: I see them winning in six two, but I see them winning game four, losing game five, winning game six.
0: Yeah, I, I I could get down with that as well. I just I just think the Warriors are going to come out and um, I don't know, man. I I I don't buy into the whole referee theory, but if there was ever a game in which in which the NBA wanted um, you know, wanted the Warriors to win, I think it would be game four. But I think if it's a fair whistle, if it's an even whistle, the Celtics win the game. If it's slightly tilted towards the Warriors, if they get some calls early, Tatum or Brown gets in foul trouble, or Draymond's allowed to play football instead of basketball, I think that's how the Warriors, that's the recipe for the Warriors to win. Um, but if it's even, if it's an even whistle, I give it to the Seas.
1: If Draymond's allowed to play football, you draft in Ima Udoka, and you tell Udoka to guard Draymond doke is gonna manhandle him dude he's so big though he's just gonna throw him around like a doll right then everybody if you've enjoyed this show make sure to go and uh like and subscribe we've had a few new ratings the last few days i've very much enjoyed reading them because they're all friendly if you do if you do want to leave a rating but it's because there's an issue maybe you don't like the sound quality maybe you want us to talk about you know room i don't know whatever it is you want us to talk about just dm me we can talk it out we'll try and incorporate what you're looking to hear from us make sure you lo- um you share it on social media you know that helps us a bunch uh you know share it on twitter ready instagram create your own social media share it there word of mouth again absolutely vital and before we go my boy greg is in a band the band's yes. name is black sheep optimist that's black sheep optimist they play the outro to this show every episode we put it on every episode and Greg's going to tell you about any new music he's got coming out, and if he hasn't got any new music, he's just going to say bye.
0: <laughs> yeah. So my band Black Sheep Optimists. Uh, make sure you go look us up on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music. The song that you're going to hear on the way out is called D Low. That was off our first EP called Book One that we released. Uh, during the pandemic, the first summer of the pandemic, and uh, I guess we're still in the pandemic. But we had we actually have a big show on Saturday, which is uh, at this. Uh, First annual hip hop festival here in Austin, Texas. It's going to be like this. Um, It's dude, it's from like 9am to 2am the next day. And it's going to be 105 degrees here in Austin, Texas. But it's cool because it's like a river float. So people are going to be able to float the river while they're listening to the music. Um, I'm super excited about that. It's going to be really fun. So if you if you happen to be living in Austin, Texas, um, listening to this podcast, definitely DM me and I can I think the event's free, but I can give you the information for that. And we do have new music coming out later this summer. We have I mean, we've dude, we have probably 25 songs that are just waiting to be released right now. So definitely come follow us if you like hearing um, my voice on a track. If you like hearing it on the podcast, make sure you show some love. Um, drop me a DM. I, I appreciate. I actually got a. I didn't. I don't think I told you this, Adam. I got um, a DM from from somebody. I forget who it was that was telling me that they really enjoyed hearing me on this pod. They look forward to any episode that I'm on, and I, I just I, that was really cool to hear that because yeah, sometimes sometimes nice. I feel more like a hindrance than a help.
1: <laughs> nah, you're always a you're always a good. How can I put it? You're always a help. Let's just put it that way, right? Everybody, um, make sure to tune in. Then if Greg's putting out music, I'll definitely share it when it happens. I've got to go because I'm behind schedule. So everybody have a good day. Greg, it's been a hot minute since we recorded together. So it was a pleasure, my good sir. Uh, Thank you for waking up early again.
0: And uh we'll catch you all soon. Let's go C's. I disrespecting you is I ain't sweating your repenting. Y'all testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the fame.